Well, good morning, and I want to add my welcome. I'm so glad you're here. It's been you know, really encouraging to walk and, and talk with you guys uh, this morning and, and just see the energy and the encouragement that you're giving to one another. Um, every week I hear somebody give a testimony of how they felt welcomed here and loved here, and because of that, we see people's lives change, people who are looking for that true foundation to build upon their, their, their lives upon. So, so grateful for you. If you have your Bibles, would you open them back to Revelation chapter 13? And uh, Revelation 13 verse 11, uh, this is a prophecy. This is a prophecy as John has been revealed what was to come or what is in our future. And so I want us to look at this as the prophecy that it is. And when we talk about prophecy in Scripture, we can know that whatever is said in this passage or any prophetic passage will come to pass, unlike some of our prophecies, unlike some of our prophecies. Listen to this, a letter written by Martin Van Buren, governor of New York at the time, to President Jackson. Dated January 31st, 1829. As you may know, President, railroad carriages pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines, which in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fires to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. I wonder what he would think on Black Friday at Walmart. (laughs) Listen to this prophecy. The Titanic is unsinkable. Listen to this prophecy. The Beatles have no future. That was by Decca Records executive Brian Epstein. We don't like your boys sound. Groups with four pieces and guitars are finished. Listen to this prophecy. By the president of Michigan Savings Bank to Henry Ford's lawyer, encouraging him not to invest in the Ford Motor Company. The horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a a novelty and a fad. Listen to this prophecy by Steve Ballmer, then CEO of Microsoft in 2007. There is no chance the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. We could go on and on with false prophecies. I mean, I've heard them myself. The Jaguars are going to the Super Bowl. I wish some were true, but we have prophecy from God's Word that we know absolutely is accurate and that we can build our lives upon. When you come to the book of Revelation, you have prophecy. And in Revelation chapter 13, the prophecy concerning what we would call the unholy trinity of Satan, the dragon who is the devil himself and two beasts. You have your Bibles, look in Revelation chapter 13. Mine is broken down this way. The first beast is talked about in verse 1. We discussed him last week. And the second beast in verse 11. In other words, there are two beasts that are coming on the scene in the end. They're going to both be fueled by Satan. There will be a worldwide political leader. A worldwide political leader empowered by Satan. This creature, this political leader combines in his power and his kingdom all the characteristics of past empires and kings of those vast domains. Daniel saw those in Daniel chapter 7. He is successful. The beast in his empire will be empowered by the devil himself. 
What was revealed to John is that this warrior political leader that's coming in the end that we know as the Antichrist has a partner in crime. Another beast working as an ally to lead the entire world into ways that seem, that seem, listen to this, humane, responsible, and correct. But instead will indeed be the opposite of those things, will be inhumane, irresponsible, and absolutely wrong. The first beast is a political leader. The second beast is a religious leader. Why is it important for us today to learn about that which is coming in the future? And I think we might want to ask ourselves that question. What happens in the future matters. Why does it matter? Because what's happening in the future is already happening in the world. Already happening now. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, We are not to be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. He's not all that creative is the devil. The way that he's worked in the past is the way that he'll work in the future. And the way that he works in the future is the way that he's working now. And so our Lord God Almighty gives to the Holy Spirit an unmasking of this Antichrist and an unmasking of Satan himself. We're going to look behind the curtain and see who's pulling the levers. And much like what Jesus did with his disciples when he pointed out the betrayer Judas, we see this ultimate betrayer in the end, how that he works. And I think that it's very important that we see this so that we ourselves today are not scammed by the ultimate scammer. I want us to see three important matters here. John is shown a contrast in this passage between two of Satan's beasts. He's shown a contrast. If you look at the first appearing of the first beast at the end of time, you notice in verse 1 that he arises from the sea. In verse 11, verse 11, and I hope you have your Bibles with you on Sundays and that you look in your Bibles and you're making notes. Notice that this second beast comes from the earth. The earth there sometimes translated land, sometimes points to the land of Israel, meaning that some actually believe this second beast, this religious leader, is going to come from Israel. Regardless, we see that the first beast comes from the sea. The first beast comes from the sea. He rises out of what is the symbol for chaos. The second beast, however, arises from order. While people are saying there's peace and safety and security on the earth, they're going to be saying that throughout all of the world, including the Middle East and Israel. They're going to be saying peace and safety. That time is coming. It is not today. And if you paid attention to the headlines this week, you know there is not peace and safety in Israel, nor in the surrounding areas. But in the day when people say there is, there is security, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, Then will sudden destruction come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The first beast arises from a war-torn, impoverished, hunger-stricken, plague-ravished, and ecologically ruined world. He brings order into chaos and ushers into, a, into this world a time of peace and prosperity. The second beast arises in that organization. He praises the first beast 
and he promotes the first beast. Never forget, Satan only can parody God. He is the ultimate plagiarist. And in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you have an incredible show of glory. God the Father desires glory. And at the same time, desires that His Son be glorified. And when Jesus was on the earth, He came to bring glory to His Father. And Jesus told us the Holy Spirit is given to us. For what reason? The Holy Spirit is given to us to lead us in the truth that we might glorify the Son. In the Holy Trinity, there is glory among the Trinity. Glory pointing to one another. And in the unholy Trinity, you see a religious leader coming to promote an unholy Antichrist. And to sing his praises. And to lead the entire world into worship. The first beast is a political leader with military prowess, international policies that calms the world's chaos. He's a king of kings of sorts. And like Jesus, wants to be the leader among leaders. He is a charismatic personality. He panders to man's demands. The Western world and bright minds love what he thinks and what he says. He supports the microbiologist that tries to determine the origins of mankind. He sponsors physicists and he gathers together with them in Stockholm to talk about all of their new theories. He loves the sociologist and has ideas and plans to help with the world's ailments, including the orphans and the, the, the difficulties that faces the impoverished. He's loved by the economist. He rallies the business community and he embraces the ecologist. If you were to go today, just look at any news source. If you were, and don't do it during church. You would find that just about every major headline has to do something along the lines of what I just mentioned. What are the origins of the universe? Who is it that's going to help save the planet? Is it Elon Musk? Sociologists are constantly clamoring for ways in which to make life easier and better for the most impoverished. To bring social justice to the world. Economists are wondering what is going to happen to us in the future. Business communities are wondering what is going to happen to our 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 enterprises. Ecologists are trying to save the world. This charismatic leader is going to come with answers for all of these all of these questions, and he will have a mind that others will be enamored by. He'll have a tongue that others will listen to. He'll speak with the king's English. He'll have the Hispanics amazed at the way in which he's able to command all of their idioms. He's going to take the Chinese with their proverbs and twist them and turn them and cause them to think that he is the wisdom from above. The African heart language will lean into what he has to say. This coming leader will be absolutely different than any leader that's ever risen on the face of the earth. But he will be fierce. And he will be feared. He will be fierce. And he will be feared. He has the wisdom that James warns us about. This is not wisdom, James 3.15, that comes from above. But it is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 warns us. 
Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. This first beast will speak with a silver tongue, but never forget it's set on fire with hell. He's going to pander to man's demands. We need answers to the world. He'll have them. But the second beast, the second beast, will come and pander to man's desires. Look at the appearance of the second beast in contrast to the first beast. Chapter 13, verse 11. It had, the second beast had two horns like a lamb. Two horns like a lamb. It seems to be docile and tame. The first beast has ten horns and crowns. The second beast appears to be approachable and innocent. The second beast seems to be this one that is kind. But he is no doubt a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's a dragon in lamb's clothing. He's a lamb with two little horns, but he's the most dangerous type of leader. And the most dangerous type of leader in the world today is like this one. It is the religious leader that speaks for Satan. He exalts man with his religion. His religion is so accepted because it is the accepting of man. It is a man exalting and a man-centered religion, whatever it is. Hey, by the way, this is not going to be some novel religion that this man leads. Not some new religion. It is the oldest religion of earth. It is the religion found in Genesis chapter 11 where people said, let's go and build ourselves a city, a tower with its top in heavens and let us make for our name ourselves lest we be dispersed over the earth, over the face of the earth. In other words, that first religion in Genesis chapter 11 was a religion that was centered on man that says we don't need God. It is a garden variety religion. What I mean by that is it actually started in the garden when Satan, the serpent, came to Adam and Eve and said, you can be your own God. And that appeals to the human mind and the human desire. This is a religion that is soaked in sage wisdom and splattered with scripture. It is familiar and it is formal. It will be spoken from pulpits and people will sing its praises. Like Aaron's calf, it will be used in such a way to say, follow our religion so that you can worship God. But what will be at the center of that religion all the while is man. Look at the apparel of this second beast. Notice he speaks like a dragon. Though he looks innocent and righteous, he is inhumane and rebellious and wrong. He calls what is right wrong and what is wrong right. He speaks with the tongue of the dragon. And the tongue of the dragon is the mouth of Satan, whom Jesus reminded us when he speaks, he speaks a lie. He's the father of lies. And so this religious leader comes on the scene and what does he do? Lies and lies and lies, but pandering to man's desire. He said, well, that's coming, but what does that have to do with us now? It is the way now in which Satan works. Just think about it for a moment. Uh, the uh, illustrations are manifold. Currently, we are told that abortion is about a woman's health. In 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, the suggestion was that men and women should 
lean to the health of a woman over the health of that fetus. Over the years, we were told that the baby inside a womb is nothing more than a fetus until it became clear that fetus means a little one. For some time, for some time, we were told in America that a baby, a fetus in a mother's womb didn't have viable life until the sonogram. And Psalm 139 became abundantly clear. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so what are we told today? Well, you should, you should respect a woman's health. But let me tell you how the silver tongue Satan speaks. What he means by a woman's health is not her physical well-being, but her mental well-being. And he has America convinced that a baby, a baby in a womb can actually damage a woman's mental health. And you and I look at that and say, what? Because we're quite aware of how Satan works. And the taking of a life from a womb is what, what damages a mental health. And it destroys a physical life. So listen to your politicians when they say, what's at stake with abortion rights is the woman's health. They're not talking about the baby somehow causing the death of the woman, but a baby in a womb causing mental anguish for the one carrying it. Just think about what the devil says about sexual freedom. He says that we are Americans and we are free and we ought to have the freedom to choose how we live our lives. Therefore, we can redefine marriage. We can take what God has said about marriage and we can throw it out the window. and We have the freedom to choose to live the way we want. The problem is every time anyone leaves the bounds of God's rules and his laws, there's not freedom, there's not happiness, and there's not fulfillment and joy. Instead, shackles, bondage, and distress. Look what the devil says now. The devil says we should be very, be very concerned about social justice. If anyone should care about social justice, it's the Christian, right? And you and I as Christians should care about civil rights. And therefore, if you are truly someone who cares about humanity, you are a humane, responsible, and correct person. You care about everyone's civil rights, including someone who's born a man and claims to be a woman. Would you not care about their civil rights? This doesn't have to do with respecting humans. This doesn't have to do with caring and loving people and knowing that people will make wrong decisions and yet we still love them and we still care about them. This is about whether or not you will respect the civil rights of a minority group who wasn't born a certain way but chooses to be a certain way. The the, the illustrations are manifold. Satan can twist the argument and make what is right seem wrong, and what is wrong seem right. And this is what we're told about this coming beast. He will speak with a tongue of a dragon. But it goes further than that. Secondly, it's not just this contrast between the two beasts, one being a political leader, one being a religious leader, one leading with a fierce hand, the other leading with a silver tongue. Secondly, John has shown the collaboration between these two beasts. Like all false teachers, this This false prophet, this coming beast, will entice an emotional response 
from the people of the earth. Look in verse 12. Look in verse 12. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Now we're going to see how that this beast coerces the world to worship the first beast. But he does so first by the way in which Satan now works. And that is through authority. That word authority has the idea of being able to impress or to influence. How does this false beast influence people to actually worship the Antichrist? He does so by mimicking the resurrection of Christ and saying to the world, this one has been a martyr for you and now he is alive for you and causing the world then to have an affection through emotion of this coming Antichrist. This ferocious political system is fueled by a religious system, and it shouldn't be any surprise to us. Why in the world would Japanese kamikazes fly their planes into our ships other than there's some sort of empire leader that's saying, if you do that, there will be reward for you and the life after. Why would anybody follow after a man by the name of Jim Jones, believing that he was some sort of Messiah? It is all through emotional attachments, moving the heart. What sinful hearts wants... Or to feel something. To feel something. And this religious leader will have an authority to have the world feel something. It should come as no surprise to any of us that the dragon uses a worldwide religion to control the population. Think about some of the great leaders of our past. Or infamous leaders who have used religion to control the emotions of their people to lead them to do the most atrocious things. Look at its approach, verses 13 through 14. It has signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. How is this possible? Is this a miracle of some sort? It's been given authority. God has allowed it to do signs. Or is it using chemical weapons? Is it using some sort of... Atomic weapons, nonetheless, signs in verse 14. And by those signs that is work, it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast and it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast has signs from above. He makes fire come down in front of the people and by these signs from above leads people to break the very first commandment and that is to have an idol that they worship. This idol that is worshiped is a sign not only from above but sign from below. Verse 15, it is allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians. This one who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. This religion's headquarters is going to be in Jerusalem. The image of this beast will be in the temple and it will speak in such a way that will cause the entire world to follow. Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and even Christians will follow this syncretized religion. Look at the authority this beast takes over all the people of the earth. If people don't worship, verse 15, they are slain. He murders detractors. 
He gives breath to the image. He causes people to bow down. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 3? Have you read Daniel? And in Daniel chapter 3, you have this mini Antichrist for a little while by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who raises up this idol and tells everyone in the known world at that time, bow down and worship. And if you don't bow down and worship, you will be killed. And it was reported in Nebuchadnezzar that three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down. Verse 12 of chapter 3 of Daniel says, These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. And I find it quite interesting that Daniel pointed out that these men who wouldn't bow down to an idol refused to worship gods. Fast forward, there's coming an image that will be set up And worshiping that image means that you worship whatever gods that you choose that are simply and always man-centered. The only ones who are going to be exempt from this kind of treatment of murder are those who, in chapter 12, we learn, have the seal of God on them, and they made their way into the wilderness to escape. You know, Satan always has a trick, and he always has a... He always has a trick, he always has a treat... But in that treat's always a hook. He uses temptation to try to benefit man, but his ultimate goal is to destroy man. He is ultimately wanting to murder. Now think about the lion witch in the wardrobe by C.S. Lewis and Edmund who had made his way into the place of winter and encountered the white witch who offered him a Turkish delight and said, there are many more of these delights where I live. That's how Satan works. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 24, the Bible says, Whoever disguises himself with lips and harbors deceit in his heart, when he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. In other words, here's what we know about evil people. They disguise themselves, but if they harbor deceit in their hearts, don't even listen to them. If they speak kindly and graciously, you can rest assured Satan does not come and say, Hey, I want you to take this bait because in it's a hook. And once you are hooked, you're dead. What he has is a honey. What he has is some money. What he has is some way. What he has is something that he tempts us with in order that he might trick us, that he might have us. You can't always flee the enemy, but you can stand. And one day there are going to be those who have to stand and say, we will not bow. And as a result, they will be murdered. The mask comes off. And those who are not murdered are those who then are marked. They are not murdered. They are marked. Look in verse 16. Also, it causes all, both small and great. Notice this, all, all, that's everyone on the earth, small and great, no matter who they are, both rich and poor, no matter where they live, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, there is quite a bit of ink that's been spilled over this passage. But what we read very clearly from Scripture is there's coming a day that this false beast will coerce worship and he will control all the commodities of the world. The communists and the capitalists, the democracies and the dictatorships, 
they will all come underneath this one world economy and in the one world religion. And in, in John's day, and, and, and Revelation was written in Greek, Koine Greek, the, the Greeks did not have our numbers like we use, or Arabic numbers. They, they had na- their alphabet associated uh, to numerical values. Uh, for instance, um, some of the Greek letters uh, would give you numbers. And then Pompeii, there was graffiti on the wall. In Pompeii, there was graffiti on the wall. And the graffiti said this, I love her whose number is 1,308. So this old boy, he loved some girl with a number. He had her number, but it wasn't something to text. That was her name. According to scholars, some have believed then, if you can take, and, and there's so many ways you can cut up the, the language. And this is why we don't speculate as to what 666 is, because over the years, so many people have been associated with 666, including the Gipper himself, Ronald Reagan. Some have said that John meant this to point to very clearly a code to expose Nero, whose name and number was 666, 616, depending on how you slice it. But I don't even believe Nero was in power at the time John writes this. And I believe that what we have to realize is this, that there's coming a one world government and everyone will have an allegiance to it. And as a result, will be controlled and will not be able to buy or sell unless they take this mark. Unless they take this mark. Through gracious words, through signs and wonders, the world will be duped. Paul says, so much so that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. I have to remember the words of Solomon. When he said, don't listen to the gracious words of the deceiver, he also said, though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. The enemy is going to dig a pit, but only for 1,260 days, for 42 months, for three and a half years. And in Revelation 14, the stone rolls back on the enemy. In Revelation 14, verse 9, and another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his head, hand, he will also drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That one beast is going to give a little bit of time. The Antichrist will have a period in which they will dupe and deceive the world, but will receive their just reward, and so will everyone who follows after him. Which leads me to the third matter here, and that's in verse 18. John has shown the calculation of Satan's two beasts. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, that's the Antichrist, for its number is a number of man, and his number is 666. This calls for wisdom. Scott, who do you believe will be this Antichrist? Well, I don't believe it's given for us to know. And one of the reasons I don't believe it's given for us to know is that we won't be here, we won't be here, church, 
when the Antichrist comes on the scene. We won't be here. And there are some things we're just not told in Scripture. Are you okay with that? I think what we need to do is make sure we're clear about what's clear. To make the main things the main things. So there was a time when Jesus with with the disciples. And he said, after my resurrection, I will meet with you. Why? Because there were things that Jesus had to teach the disciples concerning the church age. Concerning the time that is to come. That they could not understand. They would not be able to grasp before the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection. They just didn't know them. Even Peter said in Second Peter, the Apostle Paul has things that are hard to understand. Y'all, if Peter didn't understand everything that was written in the New Testament, it's okay if we don't completely understand every detail that's laid out for us in prophecy. However, there will be people alive during the tribulation period, as you well know. And it will be imperative that they understand who the beast is. Who the Antichrist is. And what indeed is the mark that they are going to have to refuse. Even though it means that they will likely be martyred. And if they're not, they will suffer greatly because they won't be able to buy or sell. I think even now we have to recognize. Even now we have to recognize that there are times when it means standing for Jesus. Is going to cost us. It might cost us some business. It might cost us some money. It might cost us some rep. It might cost us some of our friends and friendships and relationships. Standing for Jesus always costs something. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross every single day and follow me. Christians, Christians, we have to recognize that if we follow Christ, it costs And we can put our binoculars on and we can look into the future and say, well, there's coming a day when people can't buy or sell, can't go to the grocery store, can't have food and formula for their babies, going to watch their family starve to death. Why? Because they won't bow to this enemy. But friend, we live in a day right now where each and every single day we have to make a decision to live for Christ is going to mean something. It might cost us something. It's going to cost us something every day to follow Christ. I want to close this out here by just showing you, though, this bad religion and what it means for us. Because you might ask yourself the question, how in the world would anybody follow this false religious system and follow this this beast and worship Satan? Satan has really been unmasked here. His desire is to be worshipped. He hates Jesus and the glory of God and wants it for himself. How would anybody worship Satan? I think G.K. Chesterton put it, put it pretty succinctly when he said, this is a pretty famous quote, when men choose not to believe in God, it's not that they don't believe in nothing. They're capable of believing anything. Here, here's, here, here's always, you can mark this, always right now, the, the characteristics of bad religion. The characteristics of bad religions. We look at this characteristics of bad Number one, bad religion always denies the second person of the Trinity. Bad religion always denies the second person of the Trinity. 
1 John 2.18, John wrote, Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Christs have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. What is John telling us? It's the last hour, and we know because Antichrist have come. And what are Antichrists, John? John said in 1 John 2.22, Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John, what do you mean by that? Anybody who denies that Jesus and the Father are one, are one and the same, co-equal, equal meaning that they are of divinity, they are of the Antichrist. And every false religion, you name it, denies Christ's deity. Every single one of them. The second letter that John wrote to the church at Ephesus, the second John, verse 7, for many deceivers have gone into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and is the Antichrist. Y'all, how clear is this? How clear is this? The spirit of Antichrist is always the one that denies Christ coming in the flesh. God incarnate. God leaving heaven and coming and is born in flesh. Those who say that Jesus is less than God, they have the spirit of Antichrist. I don't care how many good works they do, how many orphanages they build, how many people they feed, how many good morals they have in their households, they are of Antichrist. They may use the Bible, they may cloak it in Christianity, but it is false, bad religion leading to a man-centeredness. Second, any religion that diminishes the nature of Christ is false. See, Jesus is to be glorified or man. Jesus said in John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but I can't, you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak not of his own authority, but he speaks whatever he hears and will declare to you the things that are to come. And listen to what the Spirit will do. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Lean in right now because let me tell you how the Spirit of Antichrist works. It works to diminish the nature of Christ. And that happens in Christian churches all around us. Not in Satan worshiping churches that are very clearly uh, opposed to God. But it is anyone who preaches any type of salvation by addition. There are people around us with the spirit of Antichrist and don't even know it. And they open up the same Bibles that we read and they sing the same songs that we sing, but they add something to the gospel, to the nature and saving process that Christ has given us. Salvation is found in no other name but in the name of Jesus Christ. And once you begin to add anything to Jesus, then you are diminishing The nature of Christ, who alone has salvation. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, anybody that says, if you are to be saved, you are to follow Jesus Christ and be water baptized. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have to follow Jesus and add these dogmas to your life. You're going to have to add this ceremony to your weekly routine. It's not just those who are adding to the gospel. It's those who are taking away from the gospel who say, if you're going to follow after Jesus Christ and you're going to go to heaven, it is because you believe on Jesus and you change your life. And here's the steps to change your life. 
There's all types of moralistic Christianities being preached today. They are nothing more than the spirit of Antichrist because they diminish the nature of Christ. And any religion that diminishes the nature of Christ is of the spirit of Antichrist. This is why Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So no human being may boast, listen to this, in the presence of God. And this is the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The true gospel always glorifies Christ and it diminishes man. False religion exalts man and diminishes Christ. And thirdly, bad religion denies biblical authority. Always denies biblical authority. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, listen to what Paul wrote. But we ought to always give thanks for you, brothers, beloved of God, because you chose, he chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification of the spirit and truth. To this he has called you through our gospel. So then, brothers, stand firm to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or letter. The traditions that were spoken to us are not man-centered religion or teachings, but the scriptures that were handed down from the Holy Spirit to holy men who have given them to us. And we are to hold to these scriptures. And the world, the world that denies biblical authority is a world that's following after the spirit of Antichrist. But there are churches today that are very influential in the West, especially in America, that do not hold to biblical authority. They say things like this, you don't necessarily need the Bible to convince someone else that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. What you need are events, and they have anecdotes, and they give you those anecdotes. They tell you the only thing that you need is the resurrection of Christ. And if you can start there, that's where you, that's, that's where you can lead someone to faith in Christ. Uh, we, we would be, as Paul said, all men most miserable if there, Christ had not been risen from the dead. And Christ is risen from the dead. And he is the first fruits of others of us who would be risen from the dead. But let me tell you something. No experience that we can have or fact that we can speak could ever and should ever supersede the Bible. So then how are we to share with our lost friends and family members what it means to follow after Christ? We have to start with the Bible. So well, they don't believe the Bible. It doesn't matter. Do you believe the Bible? Well, they don't believe the Bible, Pastor. Then why would I use it? Because I believe the Word of God will not return void, but will accomplish what it purposes on the earth. All false religion denies biblical authority. And every false system leads to a way in which we live. And listen, Christians, we better be careful that we're not following the spirit of this age. Because right now in the world, you find Christians that are not following after biblical authority. And their lifestyles, Christians Christians who are, yes, saved, are not following biblical authority. And their lifestyles are no different than the world. I heard that only about 6% of those who are in evangelical church calls themselves Christians tithe. Only 6% tithe. Means 94% of Christians are following after a worldly way of living when it comes to money. And our parenting is, is it any different than the world's in the way in which we are raising our children and the, teaching them what the priorities of life should be? That it should be God first, Christ first, seek first the kingdom of God. But no, I think sometimes even in our Christian parenting, we are modeling for our kids the very priorities of the world. That what's most important is how successful you are on the ball field or on the ballroom floor. Or how successful you are in the classroom so that you can be successful in the boardroom. That our priorities as Christian parents mimic the world's. 
Uh, what will you, what will you build your house on? We sang it this morning. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. On Christ, the cornerstone. He is this firm foundation. Uh, and are, are we basing our, our faith on our anecdotal experiences or on the Bible? I can assure you today. I can assure you today. Sadly, sadly assure you that most young people growing up in evangelical churches are not building their lives on the solid rock, but on experiences that they have. They have experiences with God that will not last when the storms come. And the lies of the silver-tongued Satan speaks. If our kids are not being taught that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in mom and dad's life, God's word is faithful and it can be trusted, then they are going to be blown away when the storm comes. This is why so many of our young people will hear a message like today about sexual purity and they'll say, yeah, but the people I know. My experience with people who claim to be Christians and the way they're living doesn't line up with what you're saying, preacher. They seem to be just fine. I know people, pastor, I know people that are homosexual and they love Jesus. I know them. So don't tell me what the Bible says. I know what I know. Y'all, we didn't get here overnight. We got here by denying biblical authority in the way we live, the way we trust, the way we build our lives. And all false religion, all false religion elevates human experience over biblical truth. This is why we have to get worked up in frenzies in church. This is why today people want to go and feel something. I got to feel something. Gotta have my emotions moved. I have to have my, my eyes watered up. I have to have my toes stepped on. Why? We, we elevate, if we're not careful, our personal experiences, our own anecdotes, our own testimonies above biblical authority. That's bad religion. What do I do? Well, you're here and you hear the word of God speak. And when the word of God speaks, listen. But beyond listening, apply it to your life. I think in a day in which we live where there is the spirit of the age that is blowing, we have to be more tuned in to the Word of God than we've ever been. More connected to the body of Christ who is holding each other accountable to the things of God than ever in our lives. What was going to happen in the future is already at work. Satan, he is at work. But God is faithful. God is greater. And His Word is sure. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to look at this text. Help us, Lord, to, with all of our heart, fall in love with you. And with all of our mind, trust you. And with all of our faith, stand on you. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.